Although Muhammad ibn Saud died in 1765, his son Abdul Aziz continued the Wahhabi Wars, reaching the Persian Gulf Coast in 1780 when he took al Hazar. The Wahhabis advanced toward Kuwait in 1788. Bahrain recognized their sovereignty by paying zakat to the Saudi leader. But the Wahhabis soon came under attack. In 1790, Sharif Khalib ibn Musaid, the Ottoman-appointed ruler of Mecca, sent an army from the Hijaz against them but was defeated. Seven years later, the Ottoman governor of Baghdad sent 7,000 Turks and 14,000 Arabs against a Wahhabi army headed by Saud, the son of Abdul Aziz. The Ottoman army lost this battle as well. Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab died in 1791, but the Wahhabi campaign of expansion continued. Abdul Aziz sent a copy of Ibn Abdul Wahhab's writings to the rulers of Oman, demanding that they and their people adopt the Wahhabi creed, a proposal the Omanis rejected. An Omani chronicler, Ibn Razik, wrote about the work, It is a small book. It legalizes the murder of all Muslims who dissent from them, that is the Wahhabis, the appropriation of their property, the enslavement of their offspring, the marriage of their wives without first being divorced from their husbands. In the spring of 1802, 12,000 Wahhabis, under the command of Saud, invaded the southern part of Ottoman Iraq. That April, the army entered Kerbala, massacred some 4,000 Shiites, and sacked holy Shiite shrines, including the tomb of Hussein, the martyred grandson of the Prophet Muhammad. Looting the city, the Wahhabis made off with precious spoils, including jeweled sabers, handguns, gold ornaments, and Persian carpets, all carried on the backs of 4,000 camels. Ali Bey recorded the nature of the Kerbala attack. The inhabitants made but a feeble resistance, and the conqueror put to the sword all the men and male children of every age. Whilst they executed this horrible butchery, a Wahhabit doctor cried from the top of a tower, Kill, strangle all the infidels who give companions to God, that is, who engage in polytheism. Indeed, the conviction that their opponents were polytheists gave the Wahhabis all the justification they needed for the slaughter. Another Western source, J. Russo, who lived in Iraq in this period, detailed the horrors of the Wahhabi attacks in Kerbala. Old people, women and children, everybody died at the barbarian sword. Besides, it is said, whenever they saw a pregnant woman, they disemboweled her and left the fetus on the mother's bleeding corpse. Their cruelty could not be satisfied. They did not cease their murders, and blood flowed like water. In 1805, Wahhabi forces besieged Najaf, the other Shiite holy city in Iraq, which was the burial place of Muhammad's son-in-law, the revered Ali. In response, a leading Shiite cleric, as the deputy of the hidden imam, who is to return as a messianic savior, called for a defensive jihad which was justified against enemies of Islam. Unlike Kerbala, Najaf was not vanquished. But Najaf was an exception during this period. In 1803, the holy city of Mecca fell to a Wahhabi army led by Saud, and the Wahhabis continued their practice of smashing shrines. Ali Bey relates that Saud ordered all the mosques and chapels consecrated to the memory of the Prophet and his family to be raised to the ground. They destroyed sepulchres of the saints and heroes which were held in veneration. 
The army demolished the chapel on Jebel Nur, the mountain on which, according to Muslim tradition, the angel Gabriel had brought the first chapter of the Quran to Muhammad. The Wahhabis then posted a guard on the mountain to prevent pilgrims from praying at its summit. But on November 4, 1803, a Shiite assassin, taking revenge for the sacking of Kerbala, murdered Abdulaziz in the mosque of Diriyah. Undeterred, the Wahhabis continued their campaigns under Saud, and Medina fell a year later. The 1802 Wahhabi assault on the fortress of Taif, in particular, became known as an act of unmitigated barbarism. The Taifians had raised a flag of truce on their fortress. The Wahhabi's envoy demanded, as the terms of surrender, all the possessions of Taif's residents. In return, he would guarantee the lives of the men only. Women and children were to be put in chains. The envoy's mission failed. One historian wrote that the Wahhabis, in their ensuing attack on Taif, killed every woman, man and child they saw, cutting even the babies in cradles. Those who survived surrendered after twelve days, but these 367 men, together with women and children, were put to the sword. In Medina, the Wahhabis applied their religious doctrine of destroying shrines and of banning anything that resembled the veneration of saints. Going beyond their actions in Kerbala, the Wahhabis tried to destroy the magnificent domed structures over the tomb of the Prophet Muhammad himself. The Wahhabi conquerors also removed all precious objects from the tomb and plundered the treasury of the Prophet's mosque. In an act that clearly antagonized the Ottoman Empire, they expelled Medina's large Turkish population. By 1802, the Wahhabis had subdued the entire coastline of the Persian Gulf, from Basra in the north to the Gulf of Oman. Under Wahhabi influence, pirates from the Kawasim tribe in the lower Gulf targeted British shipping. One British assessment claimed that the Kawasim had been urged by the Wahhabis to extend their activities to the coasts of India. The Kawasim Wahhabis even crossed the Persian Gulf, and in 1805 seized Bandar Abbas, today the main base for Iran's navy. In the late 1950s, Donald Hawley, the former British political agent in the Trucial States, today the United Arab Emirates, summarized the history of these Wahhabi pirates. Wahhabi religious fervor affected the Kawasim, who were driven by the zeal of the converted to a degree of aggressiveness at sea which they might otherwise not have attained. According to this account, Wahhabi militancy and expansionism extended to the sea, to such an extent that European sailors called the shoreline of Sharjah and Ras al-Khaimah the Pirate Coast. One commentator referred to the Wahhabi piracy as a seaborne jihad. The British eventually pacified the Arabian shoreline and reached separate truces with each tribal sheikh to suppress piracy. Because of these truces, these sheikdoms of the pirate coast became known as the Trucial States. The Wahhabi incursions into Iraq resumed in 1805 and extended to Syria as well. In 1808, Saud demanded that the sheikhs of Damascus and Aleppo adopt Wahhabism. His allies from the subdued tribes of Jabal Shamar raided the Syrian desert on his behalf, 